preaching the gospel, equipping the church, and expanding the kingdom of God around the world. You're listening to the Tim Brandon Ministries Podcast. Well, welcome and thanks so much for joining us for our latest episode. I'm excited to share this message with you today that I believe will challenge you and encourage you to step into the greater things for which you were created, to go where you've never been, and to possibly even go where no one else has gone before either. You know, this is definitely a unique and challenging season in which we're living. But I am confident that God, in His infinite wisdom, created you and equipped you for this moment in history. So let's go ahead and jump into today's message, and I'll be back at the conclusion to talk with you some more. I just want to tell you that God is up to some amazing things and in the body of Christ. He's up to some amazing things in this church. We are all, whether you recognize it or not, we are on the verge of something that the world has never seen before and something that the church has never seen before. I believe that God is wanting to do some things in your life and in this church and in the body of Christ as a whole that there will not be a precedent for. And so many times we, we, people tend to shun things and stay away from things. They say, well, show me in the Bible where that's happened. Because if it's not in the Bible, then, then I don't want anything to do with it because that's not God. Now, God will never contradict his character. He will never contradict his word. He will not go against who he is. But this idea that God will not do something that's not been done before, we've got to shake that because that's something that has held the church back from moving into what God wants them to do. And so what we need to realize is that God is wanting to do some things that there's not a precedent for, and we should be... I heard it said this way just recently. You know, we've got a lot of people that are Christians, but very few people are followers of Christ. You see, here's what happens. Christians are those who come down to an altar and they say a prayer. Followers are those who are constantly following after Jesus. There's many people who have come to an altar and they've said a prayer, but they've never truly followed Jesus. And so they're always looking for that day when they leave this earth because that's the only hope that they have is once they leave this earth. For those who follow Christ, they're constantly living in a place of, of, of revelation and knowing who he is and stepping into the fullness of, of God now rather than waiting to the day that they take their last breath. And so there's a lot of people who, who have said the prayer, and then they wonder, why is my life not more? Why am I not experiencing more? Why is there not? You know, I hear all these things. I read the scriptures and all these promises and all these great things. You know, I know what John 10, 10 says, that there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give me life and life more abundantly. I want that abundant life. Well, let me tell you something. The abundant life does not come to those who just say a prayer. It does not come just because you went down to an altar and you said some words. But see, those who follow Jesus are constantly on the move. And what those who are following Jesus will find that he's going to take them into places that they've never been. He's going to take them into situations that they've never encountered. He's going to take you places that you're not even prepared for. He's going to take you places that you're not comfortable with, and that's the reason why he sends the comforter. He's the one who will be your comfort. He's the one who will be your strength. He's the one that will help you in those times when you don't know what to do. Because many times the reason why we don't know what to do is because we are still relying upon this physical realm and everything that we've always known. We're looking at our five senses. We're looking at our abilities rather than looking at the one who called us, the one who created us, the one who empowers us. He's the one who will accomplish the work through us. 
And so when we talk about precedent, it excites me because I believe God does want to move us into a place that there is no precedent for. We tend to want to look back at past revivals, and we get so caught up in all of the great things that God's done in the past. I'm not concerned about what God did in the past. What I'm concerned about is what he's going to do right now in my life and how he's going to use me, and can I be in line with what he's wanting to do? Because it's great what he's done in the past. But I believe that God's wanting to do something greater than what we've had in the past. I believe that if you go back and you look at all the great revivals, you, we could go around the room. All of you have heard of different moves of God. You know, we talk about the Azusa revival. We talk about uh, Brownsville. You could talk about the Lakeland revival that took place a few years ago, the, the Welsh revival, uh, Asbury revival up in Kentucky. There's so many different things that we could talk about, and all of those were great things. But let me ask you something. Are, do any of those things, are any of those things greater than what happened in Acts chapter 2? When you go back to the day of Pentecost, are there any of those things that are greater than what happened in Acts chapter 2? In fact, many of those things, don't even, they don't even meet what happened in Acts chapter 2. I believe that God is wanting to do something even greater than what happened in the book of Acts if we'll stop looking back and start looking forward. Why? Because we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are moving forward. They're not looking back. And so if we're going to be following him, then he's going to take us places that not where, they, where the church used to be, but where the church is going. And so it's important that we be looking to him and following him. Listen, if you want some examples of, of, of places that in the scriptures where there was things that happened that there was no precedent for, uh, Noah's a good example there was no precedent for what he experienced there in the desert. God told him that there was going to be a flood. It was going to rain. That doesn't make any sense. But there's going to be a, there's going to be a flood, and, and it's going to, everybody's going to perish, and you need to build a boat, Noah, out in the middle of the desert. There was no precedent for what he experienced. I, I think about Elijah. Elijah is staying with a widow at Zarephath, and her son dies. And Elijah goes up into the upper room where this child was or, and, and stretches out his body upon the body of this young man and brings life back into him. I don't see anything in Scripture prior to that of anything like that happening. But I believe that God is wanting to take us into places that we've never been before and that the church has never been before. Why? Because one of the things that we've lost as Christians and even as Americans that we have lost is this sense of being a pioneer, of making a way where there is no way. And we've lost that sense of adventure. If it's not already paved out for us, we don't want to take that road. And so we want everything already laid out. What about those who are going to follow after you? If we're always going the same roads that we've always traveled, then we're always going to end up in the same places we've always been. And so somebody has got to make a road where there has not been a road to go to places that we've never been before. And so they've got to be led by the Spirit of God to do those things that, that maybe are uncomfortable and maybe we haven't seen yet. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 with me for just a moment this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it's the day of Pentecost. And so what has happened is Jesus has already died. He's been risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. Before he, and before he ascended, he had told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that was going to come, and that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. 
They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They looked like flames of fire upon each one of their heads. And people around them heard the, the mysteries of God being proclaimed in their own languages. And they said, what's going on here? Are these men all drunk? Peter said, no, they're not drunk like you might think. It, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And there in verse 17, he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. As much as I've tried to get away from this passage of Scripture, I keep coming back to it because I feel like it's so important to understand that, number one, if it was the last days then, it's the last days now. But he says that, in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. The simple version of this is that he's going to pour out his spirit from young to old, male and female, so that we begin to hear his voice and say what he's saying, that we see what he sees, and we dream what he dreams. And that is where God wants the church to be. In order to accomplish what he's wanting to do upon the earth, we have to be a people who hear his voice and say what he's saying. And, and, and we, he wants us to be a people that are able to see what he sees and dream the dreams that are in his heart. We in, a, in a, the American church have become so settled with dreaming other people's dreams or dreaming the American dream or having just getting by that we have so been so short-sighted and so discounted what God wants to accomplish that he wants, to, he wants us to see as he sees and dream his dreams because what he has in store is so much greater. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, if you want to talk about what God wants to do right now in the earth and what is he, what is he up to, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To save that which was lost. And we have so reduced that scripture down to people. Not realizing that what was lost in the Garden of Eden was far more than people. That there was an entire order that God had established in the garden and everything that God had created, what did he say after he created everything? What did he say about it? He said it was good. But then a deceiver came into the garden, deceived Eve and Adam, and, and sin came into the earth, and all of this put everything in a, in a state of chaos. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost to put everything back in order as it was in the beginning. That's the reason why it says in the Scriptures when it says that, that for this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why? So that he could put things back in order. We were singing this morning about how he makes all things new. He's able to take what has been all messed up and put it back in its proper order the way it was intended in the beginning. John chapter 3, verse 16. How many of us know this? John 3, 16. For God so loved, what? The world. What have we done with that? We've made it people. No, God so loved his world. The good things that he created, everything that he had established, he loved this world, the people that were in it, and the order that he had established. For God so loved the world. He loved all of the world, not just the people. And he, he loved us so, but he loved us as well so much that if we would believe, 
if we would just believe. Now, here's what happens when you believe and you truly become a follower of Jesus. You become an instrument that he uses to put everything back in order. It's not just about putting your life in order. It's about putting everything else in order as well. How many of you believe the world doesn't revolve around you? Would you believe this morning that maybe it actually does revolve around God, the one who called all things into being? So that if it's all about him, then restoring what he says is good and restoring those things which he loves, the world that he loves, the world that he gave himself for, the people that are in this world, but the world in itself, is it possible that maybe God wants to use you to accomplish these things upon the earth, to right those things that are, that are wrong, to be the vessels that, that why would he go and, and would he send out disciples who would, who would go and heal the sick and cast out devils? Why? Because he is restoring. You see, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to establish a kingdom. And we have, we have so changed that, that understanding because we have made Christianity a religion. We have talked about Christianity not being a religion. It's a relationship, and that's partially true. But we need to understand that it goes farther than a relationship. It's a mandate. It's an understanding that God has an agenda that he's wanting to accomplish. And he does that through relationship, but it's much greater than the relationship. There is an agenda that God has, and he's wanting to accomplish. Because it's about him. It's about establishing his kingdom upon the earth. He told us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. And the thing that sticks out in my mind, and I, can't, I haven't been able to get it off of my mind for years now, is that he told us to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That the way it is there, that it would be here. That's the way it was in the beginning, was it not? Adam was the one that delegated authority upon the earth. And when you think about creation... And you read the whole story of how God created everything, and you read about that garden and how everything was perfect. And he told Adam and Eve, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. Okay? Now, what does that mean when you think about the word subdue? What does that mean? It means to conquer. Now, I think in, in, in our mindset, we have this idea that the whole earth was like what was going on in that garden. If everything was like it was in that garden, number one, when, when God kicked him out of the garden, if everything was like that garden, then what would he be kicking him out of? So he was kicked out of the garden, and there was an angel that was put on post there to keep them from going back in. And if everything was like it was in the garden, what would, be, what would there be a need for to fill the earth and subdue it? And so there's a, we have to have an understanding that there was a place, a perfect place, that God had put man, an embassy, if you, if you will, that he was to operate out of and to carry God's government and fill the earth with his government, with his kingdom. And we know what Adam did. He, he blew it. We know that. But God already had a plan before that ever happened because Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations. And so 
Jesus came not to establish a religion, but to establish his kingdom to bring the government of heaven to earth. Now, what happened when, when sin came in, when the deceiver came, what came with that? Death, destruction. All these things came to destroy God's kingdom upon the earth. Jesus came to restore everything to its original intent, and he gave the keys to the kingdom to the church for what purpose? To do what was supposed to have been accomplished in the beginning. For you to fill the earth and subdue it. Not so that we could have nice little church services on Sunday morning, but so that we could get marching orders from the king so that we could know him and know his heart, know his thoughts, know his plans, and go and do the things that we were created to do. But where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, 18. Going back to Acts chapter 2 again, what did he say? In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, I believe that, that God gives visions, open visions. Maybe you've just seen something in front of your eyes that God has revealed to you. But most visions are something that's on the inside. And some of you say, well, I don't know that I have the ability to receive a vision from God. Every one of you has the ability to receive a vision. Every one of us. In fact, I can help you to receive a vision, maybe not necessarily from God, but I can help you to, vi- to receive a vision right now. If you closed your eyes right now and I told you, I, I told you to imagine a, a pink elephant, every one of you could close your eyes and you could see, you could see a pink, pink elephant. Why? Because it's, it's, a, it's a vision on the inside of you. It's a visual that you're able to see. And God is wanting to give to the body these visions on the inside of you of what he sees and how he sees. But where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation puts it this way. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And so what happens is we end up with individuals. We end up with churches. We end up with even nations who do not know where they're going. They have no vision. They don't have an inner picture of who they are and what they're created for and what they're supposed to be accomplishing. And because of that, they cast off restraint. If you don't know who you are, another translation puts it this way, where there is no revelation or vision, the people run wild. So if you don't know who you are, where you're going, then you don't have any clear discipline or direction about what you're doing with your life. A good example of that is is Israel. When Moses went up on the mountain to spend some time with God, the people are down at the bottom, and when Moses comes back down, what are they doing? They have thrown some gold into a fire and, and fashioned a golden calf, and they are bowing down to this calf and saying, this is the God who brought us up out of Egypt. Why would they do such a thing? Because they lost their vision. They lost the vision of who they are. They lost the vision of who their God was. And they lost the vision of who they were, what they were called to do and what they were supposed to be accomplishing. They, could not, they, they lost that vision that God was trying to show to them. And when we have a wrong vision, we have a wrong direction. We don't see clearly. We end up on, on paths that we were never intended to be on. 
sometimes even long-held beliefs, practices, doctrines can be established upon wrong vision. Because we're not seeing what, as God sees. We're not seeing as He wants us to see. And so we, we see as mere human beings rather than seeing by the Spirit and allowing God to show us what is, what's in His heart. And because of that, we, that's where religion comes in. And when we don't see what He sees, we end up on, on courses that He never intended for us to be on. And that's the reason why we can end up with a powerless church who is not accomplishing the will of the Father because they're not seeing what the Father is wanting to show them. They're not hearing His voice and they're not saying what He's saying and they're not receiving the dreams that He has in His heart. And so we, we rely solely, you know, you can take the Bible and you can make it say whatever you want it to say. And I, listen, I haven't read the Koran, have no desire to read the Koran. I know many, many Christians, many pastors who've taken the time to read it. Listen, I got enough in the Bible to read without going and reading what the Koran has to say. But people talk about the Koran being full of violence and that, that Islam is a violent religion. Well, you know what? If I read the Bible for, with, absent from the Spirit of God, it is a violent book. And, it, and, and Christianity, if I read it without the Spirit of God, without discernment, I'll read the Bible and I see Christianity as a violent religion. You know, so we need to, we need to understand that you can read the Bible however you want to, absent from the Spirit of God, and make it say whatever you want to. And that's the reason why we need to press in to know Him so that we can see as He sees and say what He's saying and dream what He's dreaming. But so many people, because they don't receive the vision of God, they cast off restraint. There is no discipline. They run wild. And there's many things that are being done today. Churches and individuals are running wild and calling it Christianity. And I'm not talking about running wild and, 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 and just going off in sinful actions, but I'm talking about just doing all kinds of different things and thinking that it's God because it's good stuff. How many churches and maybe even people in this room, individuals, you've gotten so caught up in just doing good works because it's a good thing? You haven't received a vision from God about who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, but you're just doing good works. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. No, you need to find out who he, who he is so that you can know who you are. And what is it that He desires? So how do I know that? You seek Him until you know. You press in to know Him until, until you're one with Him. So that his desires, it's not something that you just have to, to, listen, I've been around my wife long enough. I don't have to, to sit there and try to figure out what kinds of things she likes and what kind of things she doesn't like. I don't have to, to really dig to find out what her passions and desires in life are. I know her. Because we've been together for all this time and we have a very close relationship. And so I know her heart. I know her mind. And so I don't have to dig for it. You don't have to dig to know the heart of God. You've just got to fall in love with Him and see how close you can get to Him because the closer you get to Him, the more His vision, His dreams, His desires become a part of you. If, you, if God was to begin to reveal to you right now what you were created for and what He wants you to accomplish, 
you wouldn't even be able to handle it right now if he was to show you the full picture. Psalm 139 tells us he created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is in Psalm 139, verse 13, if you want to read along some. But he says, I, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Every one of you in this room, you are a work of the hand of God. You are a wonderful creation. I don't know what you may think, what people have told you about who you are and the things that you've done. Listen, I don't care where you've been or what you've done in the past. What you need to realize today is that you're a wonderful work of God. And anything that, has, that you may have done that is contrary to that, set it aside. Because anything that you've done contrary to that, you, you stepped out of who you are. But God says you're a wonderful work. And so if you're a wonderful work, let me tell you, there's wonderful works that he's going to accomplish through you. And says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. Listen, God's thoughts about you are so great that you cannot even begin to imagine. The plans and purposes that he has for you, you cannot even begin to comprehend. But once again, I go back to what I said earlier, but does it revolve around you? No, it revolves around him. And he is so amazing and he is so great that he has created wonderful works to do such awesome things that will come back around and give him glory. And so anything that we do that is contrary to what he says about us, we are taking away from the glory that he deserves. But all of your days were written in his book before any of them came to be. Bob, don't you understand this today? I'll just use Bob as an example because he's right here in front of me. Before there was a Bob, there was a plan. God had a plan of something that he needed to accomplish on the earth that would help to accomplish his will in, in this hour, in this part of the earth. And he said, this is what I want to do. He saw down through the ages what he was wanting to do in this hour. And he said, this is what I want to accomplish. And now I need to create someone who can accomplish this task. And he created Bob. And see, we make ourselves, we sometimes, we feel, sometimes we make the world revolve around us. But sometimes when we're all alone, we feel so insignificant. But you are magnificent. You are just amazing in the eyes of God, but not, because, not for your sake, but for his sake. Yes, glory to his name. And he wants to impart to you the vision and the plans that he had for you, the days that he wrote out in his book before any of them came to be. He wants to impart those things to you, what he planned for you before he ever created you. Yes. And so that's the reason why you face such adversity. The reason why those things happen is because there is a war going on and one of the greatest wars that's going on is to keep you from knowing your God because when you truly know Him, listen, you can go to church all of your life and never know God. And if you don't know Him, then you never find out who you are and if you never find out who you are, you never step into your purpose and if you never step into your purpose, God's work doesn't get accomplished. And so when the enemy comes against you, understand that it's, once again, it's not about you. It's about stopping God's plan that he created you to accomplish. 
Without a vision, the people perish. You need to realize today that God has a specific plan for you to accomplish things that no other person was created to do. I want you to hold up your finger right now, and I want you to turn around and look at it. Every one of you has got a fingerprint right there, right? And it's not like the person sitting right next to you. Every one of you, we know this, right? We've all got a specific fingerprint that's different from everybody else. You know why? Because every one of you is created to leave a mark on this earth that nobody else was created to leave. When you put your hands on something, it leaves a different mark than anybody else. And every one of you in this room was intended to do something. You can't look to the person sitting to the left or right of you and compare yourself to them because they were not created for the same things that you're created for. And so that means that you can't compare yourself and and what we call success. We cannot base our success on what other people are doing or what we're not doing. No, let me tell you, the only person you can compare yourself to is the one that God created you to be, and are you living at that place where he called you? Because we're not, listen, we're not concerned about success in the eyes of people in, as far as competition between one another. We're looking for a place of excellence in the sense, are we living to the fullest extent of what we cre- were created to be? That's where we should be looking. But we have to get in touch with the heart of the Father so that we can see as He sees. Because when we see what He sees, we see ourselves as He sees us. We see the plans and the desires and everything that he had in mind when he created us. We've got to be able to see what he's seeing. And if you don't have, because if you don't have a secure vision, when times get tough, you'll abandon the course. If you don't have a secure vision of where God's calling you, of who he's made you to be, when times get tough, you will abandon those things that you've been living for. You will abandon your faith. You will abandon what you see, you know, you'll abandon those good things that you were doing and you will turn to things that you would never said you would do. Listen, if you don't have a secure vision and you know where you're going, you're destined to return to your past. And for some of you here in this room, you've returned to your past so many times because you never got a hold of who God created you to be. You never realize the magnificent creation that you are and the great purpose that lies on the inside of you if you'll just totally surrender yourself to him. Not get caught up in religion, not get caught up in works, but get caught up in him. We've got to be a people that sees what God sees. Because when we see what he sees, then those things begin to birth something on the inside of us. We begin to manifest those things that was in the heart of God. Walt Disney, we y'all familiar with Walt Disney? One of the, I mean, one of the great, I mean, as far as the secular world, one of the greatest visionaries, probably ever. And it's amazing what has continued to go on in that man's name because of the vision that he had. He died in the '60s. Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, the first park there was not open until 1971. But I believe he died in 1966. And as they were there on opening day, somebody turned to Roy Disney, Walt Disney's brother, and they said, if only Walt could have seen this. And Roy turned around to the guy and said, he did see it or you wouldn't have. 
That's a powerful word. Because he had a vision on the inside of him, and everything, that, that's what drove him to do the things that he did. And even today, the vision that was on the inside of that man has been instilled into the people that work in that company, and they are still expanding and still accomplishing things, and the man's been dead since the 60s. But he was a visionary. What? Every one of you in this room, you have the ability to receive vision on the inside of you. And many of you, you're living out that vision. It's just not the vision of God. You see, you've had a vision of who other people have said you are. You've had a vision of what the enemy said you could or could not do. You've had so many other visions, and you've allowed those things to take root in you, and that's the life that you're now living. As much as I think about what I just said about Walt Disney, the vision that was on the inside of that man and how it's affected even multiple generations after him. The same is true of those who have visions that are off course, that are flawed. It does not just affect you, but it affects everybody around you. And it affects generations to come. Because if you don't, if you don't see yourself as you were intended if you don't see what God's called you to be and what he's called you to do, then your vision is flawed. Therefore, your course is altered. And everybody that you come in contact with, you're perpetuating that same vision that's on the inside of you. And, and we begin to speak things out of that vision, what's on the inside of us, how we see ourselves and how we see God and how we see the world. Out of that vision, out of what's on the inside of us, we speak. And as we begin to speak, we frame the world around us, and it affects everybody we come in contact with. But what would happen if the church didn't play church, and they really just came to a place where they said, God, all I want is to know you. I just want to know you. I want to see how close I can get to you. I want to know how, how intimate I can be with you. I want to hear, listen, he tells us that he gave us the Spirit of God which searches the deep things of God. Can anybody know what's in the heart of man except the Spirit of a man? It's the Spirit of God that searches the deep things of God. And he's given us that Spirit for what purpose? So that we can know the depths of his heart. If we want to. If we want to. You see, many times we have plans, but we lack true vision. We have ideas, but we lack vision. As individuals, as churches, just because you or a church or anything else has movement does not mean that they are actively going anywhere. Movement does not mean that God is in it. Okay? Just because there's movement does not mean that they're going anywhere. Israel had movement for 40 years, but yet they went nowhere. And you want to tell you what kept them from going into the promised land? Because they could not see what God was trying to show them. God told them, this is a land that I'm giving to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am giving it to you. Go in and possess the land. But yet when they got there and they sent in spies to check it out, two of them said, yes, it's good. Like God said, we can take it. And the other ten said, there's giants there. We can't do this. 
And because they could not see what God was trying to show them, they spent 40 years going around in circles. I have motion sickness. I don't like to go around in circles. It makes me sick. And and some of us in this room, if we're honest, we have been going in circles in our lives, going around and around and around an endless cycle. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but we always seem to come back around. It's good for a little while, but we know bad's coming, and hopefully we we keep hanging on because we, we believe there's some good times coming, but it's just this circle. We just keep going around and around and around and never stepping into the fullness of God's promise because we cannot see what he's wanting to show us. So are you seeing what God is seeing and being led by His Spirit into all that He has for you to do and to experience? I want you to understand that you don't have to know it all today or to have it all figured out. But where your focus is makes all the difference. You see, the world would like to capture your focus and get you stuck on whatever is the latest tragedy, the latest chaos, conflict, or fear. But as Jeremiah 29, 11 declares, God has a plan for you. And that plan is not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future, to give you a determined end. He has the end figured out from the beginning and every point in between. And he declares in verse 13 that you will seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. That means he needs you to give him all of your attention, all of your focus. We can't be distracted or moved by what's happening in the world around us. Because regardless of what this world may do, God's plan and His plan for you is still intact. So I want to pray for you today. Well, Father, thank you for the one who is listening right now. I pray, Lord, that they would hear more than my voice. May they hear your voice and begin to declare what you are saying to them and to the world. Open their eyes to see what you see and what you're doing. May they dream the dreams of heaven, the very dreams of God, and follow as you lead and walk in the fullness of your intended plans and purpose for them. May they possess your vision and walk into new territory and make a way for those who will follow behind them to step into the greater things that you have in store for the days to come. I ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to thank you once more for joining us today. We're excited about all that God has in store for you, His sons and daughters, in the days to come. And it's a great joy to share in that journey with you. If you haven't already connected with us on social media, we encourage you to join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, you can find out more about the ministry, upcoming events, and more at timbrandonministries.com.